In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. The other afternoon, I was on the First Avenue Express bus, and uh, like everybody else, I glanced at my phone, and uh, I saw an article that caught my interest, and I began reading. And uh, as I was reading, I became more involved in the article, and I got angry and was plotting uh, rebellion and revenge and letter writing and all sorts of things based on this article. Uh, I was completely consumed with the article as the bus made its stops and people got off and got on and then made more stops and got on and got off. And you can imagine what happened. I was on 125th Street before I realized that I had completely missed getting off at about 86. So I got out of the bus, walked across the street, and finished the article as I rode home. I get distracted and then completely miss the point of what I was trying to do. Distractions can get the best of all of us, can't they? Distractions, whether in the middle of a project or riding on the bus or the subway or talking to a friend or maybe or especially when we're trying to pray and talk with God. Maybe we're distracted now. The sounds from outside, the the sounds of the, the school field house that will come through the windows pretty soon. Uh, The the ping of a phone or a text message, all these things can distract us. In the gospel this morning, there are a lot of distractions going on. Um, Jesus is trying to say something of vital importance to his disciples and friends. He's, He's talking about what's going to happen. When Jesus says, the Son of Man, meaning himself... The Son of Man will be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after he's killed, he will rise again. The disciples aren't listening. They're tuned out. They're thinking about other things. They're totally distracted. Among other things, they're thinking about their own futures. They hear Jesus say kingdom, and they think kingdom. (laughs) And they think Jesus is going to be the king or the prince. So where does that leave me as a disciple? What position should I go for? We get a window into this kind of thinking in, in another gospel when two of the disciples' mother comes to Jesus and tries to ensure that they'll have a place of high regard in Jesus' coming kingdom. And so these disciples seem to be anticipating Jesus' coming into power. Jesus is going into Jerusalem and taking over. And the disciples wonder, what's going to happen to me? What's my job going to be? Am I going to be noticed? Am I going to be thanked? Am I going to be rewarded? The disciples are probably distracted by other things, too, and that they are human. If you're anything like me, it's hard for me to live in the present. I tend to always be in a part of the past or a part of the future. It's really hard to be right here, right now. I can love the past, especially as I've reconstructed it in my mind. 
Dwelling in the past, I can also hold on to old disagreements or resentments and continue to build my case to justify myself against someone back there. I can replay heroic actions like watching a videotape of my life again and again and again. It's a huge distraction sometimes. Or I can live in the future. Uh, Maybe you do that too. We live in the future to that place where we finally have the right fill in the blank. (laughs) The right job, the right apartment, the right house, the right partner, uh, the right waistline, the uh, the right results in the doctor's office. On and on and on we go for that day when something, everything, will be just right. When I began to notice my own tendency to be distracted almost always and everywhere, I began to understand a little more of what the disciples must have been dealing with. Trying to listen to Jesus, but always thinking about the drama of the past or the endless possibilities of the future. And yet Jesus does what he can to sort of make them present, doesn't he? Especially when Jesus says things like, to be first, one must be the last of all. To be first, one must be the servant of all. And then Jesus does this thing that is familiar to those of us who've heard stories about it in church or maybe seen it in, in, in religious art. But Jesus takes a little child and puts the child in the midst of the whole group. And Jesus says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not only me, the little child, but also the one who sends us, God. Sometimes we can hear this scripture about Jesus loving the little children and Jesus setting a child in the midst of everyone. And and we can romanticize that a little bit. And if we do that, we miss the point. Children in Jesus' day were not viewed as being sweet and innocent and cute. Um, Children had no rights. (laughs) Children were not citizens. Children were things, things to be dealt with and put up with until they were of such age that they could actually be useful. And then they were seen as helping hands. But children mostly were to be ignored until they had grown up and could help with the work. The great preacher and writer Frederick Buechner puts it this way when he tries to encapsulate what Jesus is saying. He writes, Jesus is saying that people who get into heaven are people who, like children, can live with their hands open more than with their fists clenched. There are people who, like children, are so relatively unburdened by preconceptions that if somebody says there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, they're perfectly willing to go and take a look for themselves. Children can tell the difference between a phony and the real thing. It's us as adults who get fooled so often, though, isn't it? It's us who can be so easily distracted. And so Jesus' words come to us with their, their radical intention. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not only me, but the one who sent me. Which is to say, one who welcomes God. If you notice in Scripture, so often 
Jesus calls people from distractions. He calls people to attention, to absolute attention. The philosopher Simon Weil wrote that absolute attention is in fact a kind of prayer. Absolute attention is prayer. And so Jesus calls us toward that, as impossible as it may seem. Jesus calls us into the present, the the concrete, the real, the real stuff we hear about that he moved through and we move through. Salty seawater, fresh, clean water from a well, the mud of the earth that becomes healing balm with Jesus, the, the freshly caught fish that's thrown on a grill and shared among disciples and friends. Uh, fish and bread that makes lunch for 5,000 or so. Um, the bread, the wine, the water, the blood, these are real things through which God meets us. Last month we discussed Teresa of Avila at our Wednesday night series, that 16th century nun and mystic. Um, she knew about the force of distraction, and she lived her life trying to, to get rid of distractions and focus on God. She offered guidance to those who, in her words, had souls and minds so scattered that they're like wild horses no one can stop. She knew that because she felt like her own soul and mind was like that. And so, so she encouraged people to a kind of prayer, a method of prayer, um, which was a method of recollection, she called it, of of sort of noticing what's around, what's within, what's without, but mostly just saying God is near. God is near. And then beginning to live into the reality of those words, God is near. It's that simple and it's that difficult. God is near. Later in October, I'm going to a, a conference across town that uh, happened in New York last year as well. It's, it's called Wisdom 2.0, and it's, it's a lot of Silicon Valley folks who've decided to meditate. And so they picked up the old books of John Kabat-Zinn, have brushed them off. And so it's a, it's a, it's a conference that, that gathers people who are usually not in the same room, uh, but to talk about meditation and, and centering and mindfulness, being mindful, being being aware, recollecting, as Teresa of Avila would say. As I was looking at the schedule for later October, I couldn't help but notice the first session. It's entitled, How to Stay Mindful in a State of Outrage. (laughs) They've got me there. (laughs) I'll be there and I'll tell you what I learned. Um, As I looked closely at who will be on the panel, I noticed with a lot of interest that one of the panel members is a U.S. congressman, Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio. I don't know much about him, but I looked him up, and it it seems that in 2012, Congressman Ryan wrote a book entitled A Mindful Nation, How a Simple Practice Can Help Us Reduce Stress, Improve Performance, and Recapture the American Spirit. Well, that was 2012. Needless to say, he's revised the book. It's been reissued in 2018. It's much of the same content, but the title is telling. He's named this new book Healing America, How a Simple Practice Can Help Us Recapture the American Spirit. 
though he's writing in a different context. Um, I celebrate his effort. What a good thing to know that a U.S. congressman is practicing mindfulness. (laughs) I'm sure he doesn't always get it right, nor do any of us, but thank God for him and his efforts and those around him. And he's on to something, that healing can happen when we're mindful, when we're centered, when we pause for just a second to notice that God is near. And if God is near for me, that means God is near for you. And it begins to open up a way for us to relate as humans, as humans created by God. Over and over again, if we allow it, the words of Jesus, the presence of Christ, disrupt distractions. And so, like the prodigal son in the scriptures, we're brought again to ourselves. The love and the power of Christ work on us and in us, um, even through our distractions, but bringing us back to center, to bring us to a unity where the Spirit is one with Christ and we're made one with our Creator. Jesus wants us to know fully and clearly what the Gospel of Mark sometimes casts as a great secret, that Jesus will die and rise again. As Easter people, we're on the other side of the story. We know this, not as a secret, but as a truth to be proclaimed throughout the world, but especially to be lived out in our lives right here in New York. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Even with all the various distractions of our world, even as his body in the world, we already have Christ's life in us growing. In him we die and we will rise again in faith and life and in life eternal. And so may God speak to us even through our distractions so that we might be brought again and again to that unity which is love eternal. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.